from him. And so the tithe is a way for us not to give back to God necessarily, but to honor God with what he's already blessed us with. If you're visiting this morning, you are not under any obligation to give. Um, just, just enjoy your time. But as a church, we believe that the, that the principle of tithe is it's a biblical command and, and that we need to walk in obedience. Um, and so I want to pray over our tithes and offerings this, uh, this morning. Father God, we thank you for your incredible blessing and your abundance, Lord. Thank you that you take care of us. Lord, it, your word tells us that the rain falls on the earth, Lord, and that you bring refreshing and nourishment. God, that every part of our lives is, is known by you and that you care for us so deeply. And so uh, we, we give these gifts, Lord, honoring you and blessing your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you take out your Bibles this morning, um, I was looking at the passages I had selected for today as I was studying, and I realized man, we're, we're covering a lot, of, a lot of ground in the Word of God, which gets me excited because I love the Word of God. And, and I would, my, my desire is that every one of the sermons that, that, that is preached from those pulpit would be firmly grounded in His Word and not in people's opinions. Can I get an Amen. Amen? All right. If you're not sure about that, ask someone next to you. It's a good thing. We're in the third week of a series called The Kingdom Way. Kicked it off two Sundays ago, talking about uh, the fact that God wants us to be conformed to the image of His Son. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, says that, we, in fact, we sang those words this morning. God works all things together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Why? Just so we have a good life? Is it just about having a good life now? Right? No, it's not. That God says, I'm doing all of these things so that you will be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That that is what this is about. That is what our lives are about. That is the trajectory that God has us on. And it is his desire to conform us to the image of his son, that the goal isn't simply salvation, the goal is transformation. That is what God has for us. Talked about the fact that God is not okay with us staying the same. He is more committed to transformation in your life than you are. I say that again. God is more committed to transformation in your life than even you are. And so what we have to do is say, okay, God, I want to align my life with your kingdom Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, you know, about this world around you. Seek first God's kingdom and all of these things will be added unto you. And so it's about us aligning our lives with his kingdom, aligning our patterns of behavior, our thoughts, even our physical bodies with what God would say, this is the kingdom way, these are the things that I have for you talked about what it meant, what kingdom looks like in community, and I won't get into that much more because that's really the focus of the message this morning. Last week, talked about kingdom authority. Kingdom authority. Really, the, the, the gist of last week was this. There's two authorities. There's God's authority and Satan's authority. There's, there's godly authority and demonic authority. That's it. Nothing else exists in the world. And so we are either aligned with God's authority and under his authority, or we're living according to the flesh, which God says is sinful, which is demonic authority. 
pretty cut and dried. It's, it's pretty clear in Scripture. Talked about the fact that we do not have a democracy in the kingdom of God. We are not a part of a democracy. That we are part of a monarchy. We have a king. And thankfully, he is a good king. He is a good king. He is a perfect king. He is a king that desires good things for his people. But we have to align. I finished last week asking this question. Who is calling the shots in your life? Who's got the reins? Who's in control? Who's pulling the strings as it were? Is it you? Is it the world? Is it other people? Or is God in control? Is God in control? Well, this morning we move on to part three. Part three. Let me ask you a question today. Who of you have a favorite place that you like to go to? Anyone have a favorite place? Some of you. You don't have, that many of you don't have a favorite place? Okay, here's what I want you to do. Um, I want you to turn to someone around you and tell them what your favorite place is. Your favorite place in the world to be. Where is it? Ready? Go. (laughs) Don't tell me. Tell someone around you. Your favorite place. If you could be, of course you're going to say New Community Church on a Sunday morning. Your favorite place. Okay, what, what, what did you hear? What were some of the things that came out? Disneyland, of course. Yes. Camp Cedarcrest. Good one. I love it. Where else? A hot tub. Doesn't matter where as long as it's a hot tub. I like a hot tub in the snow. Right? That's a good one. What else? Oh, Yosemite. Home. Yeah. Six Flags Magic Mountain. Some ride lovers right there. No Hawaii. Anyone do Hawaii? Tahiti. He's like, forget Hawaii. I'm going straight for the Tahiti. Well, in the same way, there's probably places we don't like to go. Now, I'm going to have you do the same thing. I want you to share your least favorite place to go. But, 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 exercise wisdom, okay? So, so if you're sitting with your wife, don't say, go into your mom's house, all right? None of that. Exercise wisdom, least favorite place to go. Go for it. There's a Disneyland. I don't think we'll hear a Tahiti in there. All right. Well, there was a lot more life on that one. Interesting. Okay, least favorite place. Public restrooms. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Yeah. School, okay. The DMV. I knew that DMV would make the cut this morning. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, any place of employment. All right, let's pray right after service. No, good. There's places that we love to be, and then there's places we'd rather not have to go to, right? Well, place is important to us. Place is important. And while we can get a laugh out of sharing some of these places with each other, the truth is, is that place matters. Place matters. And while we would talk about Disneyland or Hawaii or Tahiti or Fiji or any, uh, really the best place to be, I'd say across the board for most people would be home. And I did hear a home this morning. The home is, is a great place to be. In fact, if you talk to, to most business travelers, 
Uh, for those who don't travel for business, there seems to be this allure, this appeal about traveling, being, seeing the world, staying in hotels, eating at restaurants. But the business travelers I've talked to go, you know what, it wears off. The allure and the appeal wears off very quickly when you're eating in a restaurant alone again, when you're staying in a room that's not familiar and you're waking up in the middle of the night going, where am I? I remember there was a commercial that came out a few years ago and, and, there, and there's a guy who's he's driving in a little rental car and then he ends up in this little hotel room and then he looks out the window and he sees the golden arches, right? And everything's okay. It's a lie. Just let me say it's a lie. Um, there's nothing like being home. There's nothing like being close to your family and your loved ones. There's nothing like being able to walk over to the refrigerator, like Tom was saying, the refrigerator, the refrigerator, the refrigerator, and open the refrigerator and grab what you want, eating food that's familiar. It's nothing like sleeping in your own bed, right? There's nothing. And just like the public restrooms, I don't know, I like my bathroom at home. It's a, it's a good place. I don't like using other bathrooms. Come on, you're all thinking it. And we become... Like Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, there's no place, no place like home. When the same way, place is incredibly important to God. Place is important to God. In fact, all throughout Scripture, God focuses on this idea of place. Talks about place a lot. He creates place. He prepares place. Starting in the Garden of Eden, right in the beginning of Genesis. That God prepared a garden and he, he, he created this world. He formed it out of nothing. Why? Just to have something to admire. No, he was creating a place, preparing a place for man. He was preparing a place for us. And he creates Adam out of the dust of the earth, breathes life into him, takes the rib out of his side, creates woman. And with the two of them, enjoys communion. He communes with them In this garden, he creates a place where God and man can meet and be together in perfect harmony. I imagine the Garden of Eden must have been phenomenal. Do you ever ever just try and picture in your head what the garden must... I I, I think that the best I can come up with must fall fall so short... Excuse me. Fall short. A little sip of coffee. How about that? Fall so short of what, what it really was like. Think about it. God creating a place where he, he and man can spend time together. I think it would be any place that we mentioned this morning. Place was important. That the garden was not imaginary or fictional. That it was a real place. Real trees. Real fruit. Real animals. Real beautiful where God and man spend time together. God creates a place for the, the children of Israel. He has a place set aside for them in the promised land. The, the journal reading and the solid life reading plan this week, we've been reading about the Israelites being in Egypt, in a place that was not their home. And Moses is sent by God to tell Pharaoh, let my people go so that they can worship me. And God says to his people, I've prepared a place. It's a beautiful place. It's the promised land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. I have a place for you. 
But now place isn't just about land, it's also about people. God establishes a covenant with his children, with the Israelites, and says, I will take you, my people, to this place. And he says in Numbers chapter 6, in fact, I have this verse, Numbers chapter 6, verse 22 through 27, this is the, the blessing that God gives to Moses, and he says, this is the blessing I want Aaron to declare. He says this, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to Aaron and his son, saying, thus shall you bless the people of Israel, you shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they, listen to this, put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. The Israelites become the place and the people where God says, I am going to put my name on you. And they, they would become a prophetic witness of who God is. Place is important to God. God's kingdom is a place. It is a place that exists both here on earth because of Jesus Christ and his work at the cross. That he ushered in a season of rain like, like Pastor Kurt was talking about earlier. That God reigns. That God reigns, that Jesus has established a reign. That's why when we talk about the kingdom, there's a crown. Because he is a king and he has set in place his reign. That his kingdom is here on earth, but there's also a future kingdom that is in heaven. And that we live in both of those places at once. And that we look forward to the kingdom of heaven. In fact, this kingdom in heaven is this. John 14, 1-3 says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe in, also in me. This is Jesus speaking. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I would, would, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may, uh, you may be also. That Jesus is preparing a place that he has prepared a place for us here on earth, and that he is preparing a place for us in heaven, in his kingdom in heaven. And then if you read the book of Revelation, eventually on the new earth, and that, that he is going to set things back to where they were supposed to be in the garden, his initial intent, that man and God would commune intimately and freely all the time for eternity. And so God, God has set things in motion and he has created place for us. He has created place for us. You know, um, when you go and visit someone and they know that you're coming, maybe, maybe it's a friend out of town. Uh, Megan and I are getting ready to go on a trip and visit a friend. And, and, and so he emailed me this week and he said, hey, listen, my wife wants to know kind of what's your itinerary because we want to know how to prepare for you. We want to get your room ready and we want to get food ready. When you come into a home or you arrive somewhere and they've prepared to receive you, does it make you feel good? And you feel special, right? Some of you are not quite sure. Um, it feels good, especially when it's not like, oh, hey, there's a room over there and you walk in and there's piles of laundry and they're like, oh, there's a bed in there somewhere. No, when you walk in and the room is just clean and spotless and there's flowers on the table and mints on the pillow and you're like oh my goodness isn't it amazing what a little chocolate andy's mint what that will do for you right 
You just see that and you're like, oh, this is incredible. I am loved and, and they've prepared a place for me. This is incredible. And God says, I am preparing a place for you. And while sometimes our perspective and our understanding of heaven is so focused on, on, on the future that we miss what the present is. Can I just tell you right now, the place that God has for us is this. It is his church that we become the place. For the Israelites, it was a land, it was a specific, you can go there today, you can go to Jerusalem and stand in the land that God had prepared for the Israelites. But for us in this new covenant with Jesus Christ, that the church becomes the place where his love and his mercy, his gospel becomes tangible. And that as much as Jesus has prepared a place, right, he says to the disciples, I have to go. But we're not done here yet. And so he equips him and trains him and he says, I need you to keep doing the work I began. And so as a church, as the church, we become that place. We become that expression of who God is. His kingdom plan, his kingdom authority, and his kingdom agape love expressed here on earth. That is who we are. And that is what I want to focus our time together on this morning. That will be the, 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 the remainder of what I speak about is that. Is who we are. God's kingdom in this place. The church, his church, his bride, his body, all of those pictures, all of the analogies, the, 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 the word pictures that Jesus paints about who we are and how we're supposed to function. The thing that's consistent, though, throughout history with the different places that God established is this word covenant. That he makes a covenant with Abraham, I mean, with Adam. He makes a covenant with Moses. There's a covenant with, with Abraham, a covenant with Noah. But the final covenant is the one that's established in Jesus Christ because of his shed blood, because of his death and his resurrection. And that Jesus ushers in a new covenant relationship that fulfills the requirement of the law, as Scripture says. And at the very heart and the very core of this covenant relationship that we have with God, is the idea of agape love. It is the agape, unconditional love of God. It is why we can sit in this room today. The Bible says that we are able to love. Why? Because he first loved us. That we serve a king that didn't say, hey, you scum, you dirty sinners, you better find a way to get to me if you want to live. That love came down. That love came down in the form of a baby. God becoming flesh. God giving up his deity to come to us. No other religion, no other faith, no other way or system of believing in the world has what we have. A God, a deity, a savior who came to us. Driven and motivated by love. John 3.16, for God so loved that he gave. He loved and he gave, and it's why we are here today. And it breaks my heart that in so many churches and in so many places and in so many circles and denominations and in so many believers that we miss agape love. And we get 
offended and hurt and bothered and irritated and we start fighting with each other, God says, you're missing my heart. You're missing the love that I have. Agape love in covenant does this. It's unconditional, so it means it's secure. It is secure. It is not an insecure love. If you've ever been in a friendship or a relationship where you didn't feel secure, anyone? Like you didn't know tomorrow what what it was going to be like, right? And so it's conditional. If I do the things that make you happy, you will love me, but if I somehow happen to irritate you, and sometimes I don't even know how that happens, but if I happen to irritate you, I know I'm not going to get the same kind of love tomorrow as I did today. It is, it is insecure. It is not a good place to be. Romans chapter 8, which we'd read a couple of weeks ago, goes on to say, what can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? And then the short answer is nothing. There's nothing. There is nothing in this world. There's nothing that's ever been thought up or invented or dreamed up or concocted that could ever separate us from the love of God. Why? Because it is a forever love. It is a secure love. It is unconditional from God to you. Isn't that awesome? That God's love for you doesn't depend on you. Let's stop there for a second. Because I think some of you need to really grasp a hold of that this morning. God's love for you doesn't depend on you. That he carries the full weight of the covenant. In the Old Testament, when covenant was cut, when covenant was established, that both parties agreed to the terms and said, listen, we're entering into a covenant relationship. And that covenant was never meant to be broken But there were responsibilities and requirements on both parties to fulfill the the covenant. That when God established covenant relationship with us, that he took on himself all of the burden. He took on himself all of the burden. He did the heavy lifting. So that all we have to do, church, all we have to do is come to him. All we have to do is respond to his love. That's it. And I'll tell you what, any church and any doctor and any, anyone who preaches otherwise, they're wrong. They are wrong. They are not hearing from God. They are not teaching truth. The covenant, covenant is that the full burden is carried by God. And we just have to be on the receiving end of that. So not only is it secure, but it's also that it is, it is free of fear. That there is no fear in perfect love. That God's perfect agape love, the Bible says in 1 John 4, 8, uh, 18, there is no fear in love. But perfect love does what? Casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Now listen, there are areas of my life where I battle fear. Can I get anyone agree with me this morning? There's things that you're like, yeah, I, I battle with fear. The issues that we have in fear really stem from us not really understanding and living in covenant agape love. That it's the place where the enemy can mess with our thinking and think that it's up to us. It's why Matthew 6, Jesus said, don't worry about these things because my kingdom love will provide everything you need and then some. 
that we can't wrap our heads around the amazing love that God has for us. You t- I love talking to, to, to older saints who've walked with Jesus a long time, and they'll just start talking about the faithfulness and the love of God in their lives, and they'll just go on. When I was uh, first a uh, youth pastor years ago, was young, and I was like, ah, I'm going to do this thing. I've got all these ideas and stuff. And then like two weeks later, I'm like, now what am I going to do? Um, I shared an office with a dear man named Dr. Hall. I think I might have already mentioned him, and I'll probably mention him a lot because he had such a huge impact. At that point, I was 23. He was like 96. We shared an office, and this man would sit and talk about the things that God had done in his life. And there was a peace on his life and a joy and a contentment on his life that I know stem from his understanding of the love of God. And it just flowed out of him. It just, everywhere he went, it was just the way he lived his life. That when we understand agape love, when we live in that place where we know that God loves us and nothing can separate us, where we believe it with every fiber of our being, that it will radically transform our lives. Jesus is questioned about uh, the greatest command, love reading the Gospels. Again, in the, the Solid Life reading plan, if you're, if you're not a, in, in that plan, if you don't have a journal, I encourage you to grab one. There's been amazing reading this week. We're in Matthew, we're, we're in Genesis, there's all kinds of, we're in Acts, it's just good stuff going on. You've got to jump in. But this week, reading about Jesus in Matthew, and, and, and all of these people coming to him, the Pharisees coming and trying to trap him and pin him into a corner, back him into a corner, get him to say something uh, incriminating. And in, so in Matthew chapter 22, we have one of these situations, uh, starting in verse 34, Matthew 22, 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer asked him a question to test him. Now, it's interesting that there's the distinction that's made about it being a lawyer. Now, you, you might go, like your mind goes to like bashing lawyers. I'm not there. I do know this. Lawyers know how to argue. They know how to make a case. They know how to use their, their words wisely, right? Because whatever you say can and can't be used against you. Listen, the lawyer, they, they get the lawyer, they get the one who's the smart one in the bunch saying, if anyone can do it, this person can. You go, right? It's like, it's like playground politics, right? Come, you go do it, you go do it. The lawyer steps up and asks him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Which is the greatest commandment in the Old Covenant, which he didn't know was going to be old here shortly. But which is the greatest commandment? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and your mind and and all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And listen to what Jesus says here. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Another translation uses the word hinges. That on these commandments hinge all of the law and all of the prophets. 
Basically, everything that had been said in the Old Testament as we have it today hinged on the understanding that we need to love God and love people. That, God is, that Jesus is saying to them, forget about the, the actions of walking out the law. If you just understand that you need to love God and love people, the law won't matter. The prophets won't matter. Why? Because the law and the prophets, their, their sole purpose was to get people back to a place where they understood the love of God. That's why they existed. Now, if you're a theology major, I know we have some, some students, you're going, no, there's more. Yes, there's depth to it. But I know as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, when I read my Bible, everything points back to Jesus and his love for us. That we wouldn't have needed the law and the prophets if we'd really believed, if Adam and Eve had believed that God really loved them and had, his, had the best in mind for them. And so it's the same tension that exists as it did in the garden. On these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, some of you have been in church maybe for a while. You're like, okay, a message about love. We've got to go to 1 Corinthians 13 because it is the love chapter. But it's appropriate that we land here this morning. Because our understanding of kingdom and kingdom love, covenant agape kingdom love, and string all these words together, that, that wrapping our heads and our hearts around this changes everything for us. It changes everything. It changes the way we think. It, it changes the way we respond to God's desire to see us conform to the image of his son. It changes our understanding of why and how we submit to authority. Kingdom authority. That love becomes central and, and a central motivator to everything we do as believers, as the church. So starting in verse 1. I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love. I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. I'm going to stop there for a second. Yikes. Because everything that he's describing here, Paul is describing to the Corinthian church, is what we would, in the modern church, equate to successful, thriving ministry. Am I right? If I prophesy, if I speak in tongues, right? If I have prophetic powers and understand mysteries, if there's faith and miracles and signs and wonders and these things are happening, if I, if I sell everything and give it to the poor, and if I even sacrifice my own body I have, and I don't have love, he says three things. I am noisy, I am nothing, I gain nothing. You think love is important? You think love is important? Amen. Oh, it gets me excited. And a little bit nervous. Come on. Because there's responsibility here. I don't want to be noisy. I don't. I want what I say to matter. What I do to matter. Not for me. But for God and his kingdom. 
I want his love to come through loud and clear. I don't want to be noisy. I don't want to be nothing. And I don't want to live my life and get to the end and stand before the judgment seat of God. We have to understand that, that every one of us, saved and unsaved, will stand before the Bema seat where we will give an account of our lives. And it's not whether or not you get into heaven. That's, diff- that's the great white throne. This throne is where we give an account and God will say, what did you do with what I gave you? And essentially it will hinge on this. Did you love people the way that I've loved you? Or did you live, you live your life for yourself? That should put something in our hearts of a fear of God. Not a fear, because I just said we live without fear. It's not a fear where I'm afraid for my life. It's a fear where I go, oh my gosh, God is so huge, and I am not. And I need to make sure that I live my life in a way that connects with Him. And that people see Him, not me. It should, it should, oh, it should, get it? Right? There's no words. Verse 4. So now think about this. On the heels of what Jesus just, I mean, Paul just said, he goes on to say, love is this, it is patient, kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable. (laughs) You're elbowing someone right now. Love doesn't elbow the person sitting next to them. It is not resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with what? Truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Now, I don't think there's ever been a a wedding in the history of mankind where this verse wasn't quoted. If if there is, it's a rarity. But can I tell you that this passage applies to more than just marriage? That this is the marriage of Jesus to his bride, the church. These are the instructions that he is giving to us. So I guess it does apply to marriage. It's just not that kind of marriage. It's we are the bride of Christ. He is our bridegroom. And as our bridegroom, as our God, the one who loves us, he is saying to us, here is how I want you to love. This is how I want you to live. Don't be, uh, love, love is patient and kind. It's not envious or boastful. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. No, these things have started to seep into the lives of believers, the church, and it has mucked us up. It has messed us up. It has caused us to live in a way that is not honoring to the Lord, where we think we're doing okay, because we've got, we can check the boxes and say, well, we're doing this, and we're doing that. We have this ministry, and I did this thing, and I, well, I, 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 gave, I gave money to this and that, and I think I'm okay, and God says, where's the love? Is there love? Is love at the heart of it all? See, the church is called to be a life-giving place. That we are supposed to be a life-giving place. Why? Because it's the place that God has prepared for the world. 
He's prepared us, his church, to be, as Jesus said, salt and light. Jesus said to his disciples, they will know that you are my disciples by the amazing things you do. No, by what? By the love you have for each other. The world will know that you are my disciples simply if you love each other. How often it's hard to love our brother and sister or we choose not to. Or I love the people in this room, but that church down the street, right? That person who has a differing theology, at the end of the day, do they love Jesus? They believe that Jesus died on the cross, that there's only one way to the Father, and that's through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. That's the central issue. But we get wrapped around the axle over points of theology that become divisive. Now, I'm not saying that those things don't matter, but in light of this, they don't. And even if there are things that we go, you know, there's a problem there, that the onus is on us to respond in a way that's loving, that's kind, that's not boastful or envious or prideful or self-serving. I would, I would suggest this. Print this verse out and put it on every mirror in your house. Because it becomes a great daily reminder, a great way to align and say, okay, what's out of check in my life? And where do I need to come back into agape love? Listen to this. The church is a covenant community that actively and consistently displays the agape love of God. This is my definition. I wrote this. I didn't get this from somewhere else. If you're like, oh, I'm not familiar with that one. This is, this is, this is what the church means to me. And I believe you'll hear this as I have... The, the privilege of leading this flock, this congregation, that you'll hear this, but you'll also see this in my life. And my prayers in every one of us. A covenant community, what does that mean? That means that we're committed to in, each other in such a way that if you irritate me, I'm not going to cut you off and say, you know what, I'll just ignore you. Well, we still go to the same church, but we don't talk. You know that God's not okay with that? Because it's not covenant, it's conditional. A covenant community, that means that I am safe with you and you are safe with me. That there's a freedom from from fear and a security in our relationship. And if stuff comes up, that we will have the maturity and the love to actually deal with it. Imagine that. In a loving way. Come on, church. A covenant community that actively and consistently displays the agape love of God. Actively and consistently. You've got to do something. You can't think loving thoughts. Oh, you should. But it needs to be accompanied. It's not all you can do. The husband and wife who go in for counseling. They've been married for 25 years. They're sitting with the pastor and and she's just going, you know what? I don't know what's happened 25 years, and it's not been horrible, but at the same time, I just, I don't, I don't know where I stand, if, if he cares about me or not. He never says, I love you. In fact, he, he only said it once, and that was on our wedding day, to which the man replies, listen, I said I love you, and if anything changes, I'll let you know. 
And we can immediately see the error, right? Because we can live our lives sometimes like that. As believers, we live our lives in the world, and in here we give a hugs and we high five, and we're like, love you, brother, love you, sister. And we go out into the world and we're like stone-faced. And the love of Jesus never actually makes it out of us into the world. We're like the best-kept secret. That we actually have to say something. It's active. There is action involved. And consistently, it's not a one-off thing. I love it. I'll talk to people sometimes. Like I, I was a missions pastor before. I love missions. We'll, we'll have a lot of great conversation about missions in this church. But I'll talk to people. Hey, there's a trip. We're going here or there. Oh, I went on a missions trip once. Okay. Yeah, when I was in, in high school, I went. And oh, it, was, it was great. But I already did that. <laughs> it's a big world and there's a lot of people who need to hear the gospel. Now, I also tell people you have to be called to go and it's not just a vacation and all of that. But at the core of it is we actually have to be doing something on a consistent basis. And believe me, church, we'll talk more about this in a couple of weeks. That We have no right and no place going to the ends of the earth if we're not going to Jerusalem if we're not going to our community, if it's not happening here, we have no place doing it in Kenya or India or England or wherever, that it has to start here and it has to start with us. A covenant community that actively and consistently displays the agape love of God. The world will know we are his disciples by the love we have for each other. There are a few things that Paul says in this passage right at the end in 1 Corinthians 13. To be a love-giving place is to be a life-giving place. And this is why he says that love bears all things. It bears all things. Now he's speaking to the church. He's speaking to us specifically. That love bears all things. What does that mean? It means that there's no tolerance in the church. There's no tolerance. See, because God didn't tolerate me, he loved me. And I would much rather be loved than tolerated. And it becomes, it's this buzzword in the world, right? We have to be more tolerant. No, we have to be more loving. Because tolerance is a cheap imitation, and it is conditional, and it stinks. I would much rather be loving than tolerant. I would rather be loved than tolerated. But that means we have to bear all things. That means there will be times where things come into my... I'm going to use you as an example, Paul. That things start pressing on me. And there might be a personality. My personality might rub someone the wrong way. And that we then have to make a decision and say, you know what, I'm going to bear all things. Not because I have to tolerate you, because I love you. And I recognize that you're in process just like I'm in process. I'm being conformed to the image of Jesus. I'm not there yet. Can I get an amen? And whether it's your first day with Jesus or you've been serving him for 50 years, that we are in process and we're all at different stages of being done. Which means that we bear with each other in the place of growth that we're at. And we don't expect people to just be like us and say, well, you know, you've known Jesus for two weeks. You, you need to really be at this level. Well, 
all different. Jesus gets that. Sometimes I think we're a little confused. It believes all things. I was writing this, and the Lord just smacked me. I was like, really? Thanks, Jesus. We have a propensity to negativity. And if you don't believe that, log on to Facebook for five minutes. You will see more about what's negative and tearing down than you will about what's life-giving and building up. Am I right? We have a propensity to negativity that has no place in the church that we believe all things in and for each other. Church, I believe in you. I just do. Some of you I know better than, than others. Some of you I'm, I still have to meet. But I believe in you. I believe in God's call in your life. I believe in the, in the gifts that he's given. I believe in, in, in your character and your personality. I believe, I believe, I believe. Why? Because I love you. I can love you because Jesus loves you. I can love you because Jesus loves me and he gives me what I need to love you. And you can do that for each other. Love believes all things. You don't have to prove yourself to people. When you're believed in, it changes the way you behave. Am I right? When you're believed in, and it spurs you on. It hopes all things. That love never reaches a point where it says, I give up on you. That it never gets there. That point does not exist in agape love. And then it doesn't exist in the church at least it shouldn't. And when I say the church, I'm not talking about the organization and the structure and the staff or the leadership. I'm talking about you. We are the body of Christ. It endures. I mean, it hopes all things. It endures all things. That word endure. We don't endure easy things, do we? Like Paul uses that word on purpose. You don't endure easy things. You endure hardships. So when he says love endures, there's an implication there that things are going to get rough sometimes. And we press through the rough patches. That we are committed to each other in a way it says, I will endure with you. I won't endure you, I will endure with you. And we will get through together. Love never ends. Has no limit doesn't run out, that the covenant agape love of God that has been established and shown to us here on earth is the same love that will sustain us for eternity. It's the same. And that we get to choose to what degree we embrace the love of God in our daily lives, in this community of faith, and with the world around us. Love never fails. Because of covenant love, we know that God is committed to us. We understand that we are under His authority. And that we are, to call, we are called to live, live agape love. No strings attached. I hate strings. I hate strings. And we get to love each other and love our community, 
and love the world, no strings attached. That we get to love the city of Glendora, not so that they'll come to our church. That's not our goal. Now, if we have an opportunity to love people in this place, we'll jump at the opportunity. And we're praying that God brings us more people to love on. Amen? Not more people to fill up chairs. And look around this morning. We added extra rows today, and it's filling up in here. Because God is moving, and he's aware of the community, and he knows what needs to happen, and he's calling us, and he's placed us here for such time as this. And this is not because I'm the new pastor. This is dialogue I've heard and things I've heard from Pastor David Turner. I've heard from you that there is a sense that God is moving in this place. But I'll tell you what, it's not about clever strategies and more ministries and more money. It simply comes down to this. Will we love the city of Glendora? No strings attached. And I believe if we will take that posture in our lives as a church, as individuals, that God will bring more people than we can handle because he knows he can trust them. God loves people. And he's not going to bring them to a place where they're not going to get loved. Can I get an amen? And I'm not saying that this isn't a loving church. Don't hear me wrong. But there's always room for more. And if this is touching your, it's touching my heart. It's challenging me. Because it changes how we live. I want to be more like Jesus. Let's stand up together this morning. I'm getting ahead of myself. I want to invite you two weeks from today. We're going to have a Sunday. I want to encourage you. It's, it's March 8th, Sunday, March 8th. I want to invite you to be here. Mark your calendars. If, if you already have plans, I'm going to encourage you to try and change them to be here. Because we're going to, we're going to have a vision Sunday. I'm going to speak about some of the things that God's putting on my heart for this church. I've been sharing with Tom and Deb and Kurt and Rachel. Um, had an opportunity to share with some of the leadership. And we're going to have some more conversations over the next couple of weeks. But two weeks from today, we're going to take a Sunday and I'm going to, I'm going to share some of the things that God is putting on my heart. It's not going to surprise you because you've already heard it this morning in the last couple of weeks. But sometimes what we have to do is take these ideas and then put some structure and form to them as Habakkuk says that we have to write the vision and make it plain why so that people can run and we can do something with it but I don't want a church and I I know God doesn't want a church that's just simply doing stuff because our mark of success as a church and as believers isn't how many ministries we have or how many words that we have or how many people prophesy or how much money we give. The mark of success for our church is how well do we love? How well do we love? And that's not my job, that's our job. And so I invite you, be here that Sunday, March 8th. Invite a friend. Invite a friend. I think it's a great day for for someone to come to church for the first time hear about where we're going too many churches are just maintaining we are not maintaining god is moving and we want to join him so father this morning i am thankful for the agape love your agape love lord that we can love because you've loved us that that everything god is is a response to what you've done in and through and for us 
believe there's some people here this morning that this message has, has pricked your heart. That it's not been an easy message to hear. It might have actually stirred up some pain. I don't want to move past this moment without saying that God sees the pain. He knows what's going on in your heart. Maybe you've been in a place where you weren't loved and you still bear the scars or maybe even the wounds from that. Maybe you've been in a place where you're the one that wasn't loving and that there's guilt and shame. And that the Holy Spirit this morning would want to say to you, I love you. I love you. And that He can bring forgiveness and healing and restoration that you are not too far gone. That He has amazing plans, an amazing purpose, an amazing destiny for you. And it's all centered and hinged on His agape love. So Father, I pray that You would do that ministering work this morning. Heal hearts. Heal minds. Lord, bring alignment with Your kingdom authority. God, where we've stepped out of line as individuals and even as the church, God, that we would do one thing and one thing only and ask, it would be this, Lord, have your way. What are you doing? Not our will, but your will be done. Lord, I pray that you cause new community to be a beacon of love. Lord, where every one of these people go to work, school, in their neighborhoods, in their homes, in the grocery store. Lord, that agape love which is pour out of us every day, actively and consistently. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer this morning,